year of all time. It's the worst idea of all time. It's the worst idea of all time. Hello, and welcome to the worst idea of all time, episode four. My name is Tim Bat. My name is Guy Montgomery. We've just watched Sex in the City 2 for the fourth fourth time, coming to you live from sunny Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Though not live when it's a podcast. I don't know how many times we need to go through this. It's, a, it's a recording. We're live. We are, are live and we're recording it live, but everything's recorded live. Conceivably, every television show and movie and podcast ever made is live. Yeah. In our, in, our, in our way. Do you know my biggest issue with this movie, Guy, is uh, there's four women in starring roles in this film. That doesn't happen every day. And they have squandered an opportunity. N- like, not since... I can't not, name... Not the, not the four actors, though. What do you mean? Well, I don't think that Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon, Kim Cattrall, and... Oh, no. Oh, you were really close to just fucking I don't know them all what Charlotte's... I don't know the, the actor who it's plays okay. Charlotte is. It's okay. Don't worry about Do it. Do you? No, I don't. Um, well, I don't think they've dropped the ball. They, they got handed a script that was written in a panic room yeah. by Michael Patrick King <laughs> yes. over what is presumably three months where he was just like fed and watered through a hole. Yeah, I, and I don't think watered with water. I think watered with like champagne. That's all he could drink. The network... Well, you know, the studio, they locked him in there and they said, here's some cigars, here's some champagne, bang out Sex yeah. in the City here's 2. A, here's a page with a list of things we need to be in the movie, <laughs> including Sobu noodles. Uh, we're going to need a big old tittied Irish nanny. <laughs> yeah, we need to see some Irish tits in this movie, Michael. Do you understand that? We want... Just an anonymous billboard in the middle of the desert, not advertising anything, just to throw the punters off. Do you know what I would appreciate? I would appreciate a conversation which I had with my wife last night to last 10 minutes on screen (laughs) about whether or not we should have a television in the bedroom. I would like that to be a significant portion of the movie. I would also like you to reference how fucking awesome Deadliest Catch is in the (laughs) seventh season. Probably the main part of the movie that we enjoyed today um, was... (laughs) How much Big presumably loves the TV show Deadliest Catch? Yeah, because there's a... And I think that that's something that's been constructed in post because this seems like an audio thing that's been added afterwards. But when he's flicking, when he's doing a bit of channel... Oh, no, it's before they start doing channel surfing. Um, it's on the TV, the show that he's, he's watching... He's not channel surfing. He's like, he's no, turned- no, no, no. He, do- he does channel surf after that. But before he does, uh, there's a, a Deadliest Catch promo that plays which announces that he is about to watch... The greatest episode of Deadliest Catch since the cameras started rolling seven seasons ago. Which is insane to me that a TV show would reference the fact that they just released five, I'm assuming, because two through six, five dud seasons, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. And then suddenly a return to form. <laughs> We've been filming rock pools for five seasons, but we return to the high Alaskan seas. A crab the size of which we've never seen before. A crab which took two crew members from our esteemed filming fraternity. It took their lives right in front of our rolling cameras. Big's just going, Carrie, babe, I've been waiting five seasons for them to get back to Alaska. I cannot talk to you now. This is too important to me. You go write your book. I need to watch this episode of Dead catch two grown men die at the hands of a giant crab you want to throw away those lives you want to throw away the lives of two fully formed human beings for for an argument right now look tim we got a lot of uh not a lot really a few people throughout the week have said to us could could you please 
and I think we have done it, but we, you know, we could revisit it uh, in in passing and as quickly as possible. Yeah. Can you please explain the plot of Sex and the City Two? All right. Well, look, the only way that this is going to be fun is if we put some parameters on it. So, how long do you think? We're, we're not allowed to use ourselves. the letter. We're not allowed to use vowels in our words. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do it in five minutes. Oh, it's just gone noon. To okay. The second. So, High noon. Okay. Five minutes starting from now. Here we go. Uh, we open. We do. We open. We open in New York. Carrie Bradshaw is narrating. Oh, a it's a very familiar trope from the TV show. She's telling us how she met her friends. They're making it friendly to people who haven't seen the TV show. They're saying these are the characters. This is how we met. This is where we are now. It's where we are and now. They're two best gay friends are getting married, and the girls are very excited about it. Anthony and uh, the first scene oh, is the first scene is set in Birdoff Goodman. I don't know what that is, but it looks like a gaudy department store. And I'm pretty sure they threw a shit ton of cash at the movie to get it done. Anyway, uh, fast forward to the gay wedding. Oh, it's also established that Carrie has written a book about marriage. Her first. It's called I Do, Do I? Yeah. Which is, I don't know. It's is a classy it, title. Is it? Hey, we've got to move forward. We're wasting too much time. We're at the gay wedding. It's huge. It's <laughs> white. There's swans. Uh, Charlotte's daughter tries to eat one of the swans, but you cannot eat a swan. They are the Queen's property, even if you're not in the Commonwealth of America. Actually, what is the legality of eating a swan in America? I got a real hangering for some swan meat. I got to get out of the Commonwealth. Well, that's the the beauty of their free market capitalist system. You can eat the swan if you want. We are shackled by the parameters of the Commonwealth and the Queen's decree. Who decided the Queen owns all the swans? Uh, I'm pretty sure the Queen did, bro. Was it the Queen? Like, was it Queen Elizabeth II who came in and she was like Queen Victoria or all, something? All of you former monarchs yeah. are idiots. Yeah. Guess what I'm doing? <laughs> first thing, first point of order: dibs. All the swans are mine. Dibs and on every, swans. All she eats is swan. She is on. You know why she's aging so gracefully? Because oh she God. lives exclusively we off of swan this. meat. We've got to spit that we've oh. fallen into our own traps again. So we're at the gay wedding. That happens. Liza Minnelli shows up. Big song and dance number. Miranda undercuts it immediately after it happens by being a fucking bitch and not dancing with her husband. But we move forward. Yeah. Kim Cattrall has sex with a concrete layer. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, Charlotte's daughter is crying. There's a cute nanny, an Irish nanny, an Irish big-titted nanny that Michael Patrick King... Was a, it was a real sport on this one. He wrote it in for us. I mean, we, we really hammered that point home to him. Uh, look, fast forward a little bit. They're all just doing their jobs. Their lives are falling apart. Miranda quits her job. Charlotte's struggling to be a mother. And a, I don't even know. Does she have a job? And somewhere at some point, a man in the background is slamming three coffees, <laughs> preparing for the biggest day of his life, which we'll get to later. <laughs> um the plot advances. One of uh, Samantha's old clients calls up and says, "Hey, I'm doing a terrible, terrible movie set in Abu Dhabi, heart of the desert. Uh, could you please come to the opening with me because I owe my career to you?" They go to the opening. They meet the producer of the film, who's just opened a brand new hotel in Abu Dhabi. After they meet Miley Cyrus, Samantha convinces all of the gals that it's a fantastic idea to go to Abu Dhabi, which is pretty much the new Middle East, apparently. After an hour of plotting action in which Carrie and Big's relationship seems to be going fine, they're creating problems that aren't there because they've got nothing wrong with their lives. The girls all agree, let's go to Abu Dhabi. They go to Abu Dhabi. Samantha is suffering from menopause. Um, They are all incredibly offensive towards the culture there. Uh, Samantha tries to blow a Danish slash pan-international architect on a beach. She gets arrested. Uh, the owner of the hotel rescinds all of his offers and is like, get out of our country. 
the girls leave. At no point do you care about their plight because they're fucking gaudy millionaires with no respect for anybody but themselves. At the end of the movie, like the big fucking crux, the big worrying piece of action is Miranda saying, if we don't get to the airport in time, they're going to bump us from first class. This just in, Miranda. Nobody fucking cares. Fly coach. Um, Fuck you! I'd just like to add as an addendum with our 57 seconds left that while they are in Abu Dhabi, Carrie kisses Aiden, an ex-boyfriend, oh, yeah. which creates a little bit of friction with Big, which gets resolved pretty quickly yeah. and pretty easily. Big. And then the movie ends, and guess what, bro? You did an amazing job. You just wrapped up the entire movie in like 4 minutes 20. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> you say this every week we watch it, Tim. They could have made some cuts. They could have made a lot of cuts. That what you what you just heard takes how long in the movie again? Two, two hours and twenty six minutes. Two twenty six. But folks. the thing is, the reason that the movie runs so long uh, is is that they have to insert so much product placement. I like your theory today. So there is a billboard in the movie uh, when the girls are on their way to ride some camels. Yes. Uh, they, they, they it's drive- just your quintessential Middle Eastern man And it's huge It's a huge vertically laid poster Of a dude In the middle of nowhere Sunny's on everything Just a classic Middle Eastern dude And, and it, it doesn't have anything else on there It's just an image of a face Of a human full grown man And it's like what are you advertising This is obviously a billboard What am I supposed it, to it buy It feels like they just put in a generic billboard And they were like And we'll just sell the ad space to whoever wants it yeah, And they either forgot to sell the ad space Or maybe they'd already sold it And forgot to photoshop the logo Onto the bloody generic advertisement You suggested <laughs> to qualify the gratuitous and like intense shots of sobu noodles you suggested maybe it was a sobu noodles deal that- it's an apology the shots that we see are so outrageously ill Ob- placed so Ob- obvious that it's product placement that it is an apology to sobu the firm who paid a lot of money to be in the movie and they forgot to shop into that shot it's i'm so sorry here is Literally three seconds of a motion picture from a very successful franchise of nothing but your product, just yeah. your logo. It's an it's a it's an yeah. ad in a movie, and not in the normal way that product placement is, but like literally a commercial inside the movie for Sobu, Sobu Express. It's Japan's best location on Madison. That should be their catchphrase. It's Japan's best location on Madison. Yeah. I don't I don't understand that. It's Japanese food and it's on Madison Avenue. That's better. That's much better than <laughs> no, what it's you clearer. suggested. No, it's not better. It's clearer, just clearer is better. Not always. What you said, it's Japan. What is it? It's Japan's, Japan's best, location. best location on Madison. That's confusing to me. Yeah, I don't it makes know, you think. I don't know what I'm buying. It stays with you because it makes you think. It doesn't. It doesn't stay with me. I don't even finish the sentence. It's confused. Speaking of confusing sentences. Yes. We... Pause the movie today. Oh, yeah. Finally, there's a printout. So at one point, Carrie has to go to her old apartment, which she couldn't sell because the property market was too rough for poor Carrie and Pink. Well, that's not even, like, even that is kind of a legitimate problem, but it's beyond that. She simply says, we were waiting for a good time to sell, and there was no good time to sell. So I kept my apartment. And we didn't need to sell because Big makes so much money from wearing the emotional stress of playing the stock market on behalf of other billionaires. Uh, anyway, she goes there to work on this article she's writing for Vogue. Uh, I'm presuming it's like a little teaser article about her upcoming book, I Do, Do I? 
which is supposedly slammed by The New Yorker, but we also freeze-framed the review in The New Yorker. The book is compared to Annie Hall by Woody Allen, uh, which is like inarguably a very successful, very funny and well-made movie. Mm. <laughs> the movie is me standing in front of a brick wall for one hour and 40 minutes. It cost $80 million to make. I actually have in front of me uh, said review do you from to, the New do you Yorker. To, I mean, do you want to unpack it a little? May I? Please. Carrie Bradshaw, New York City's... Oh, and and I, would, I just want to say, this flashes on screen for half a second. We took a screenshot because we committed. I, okay, do you know what, though? I like, I like that... Like, I always find it very satisfying in a movie when it's not just the word rhubarb printed. Like, and I'm pretty sure that in the day, back in the day before technology got to where it is, they could put any text on there and, like, people didn't have the capacity to pause and check what they've written. Or I that, like that they have to actually write that Latin copy yeah, that you yeah. put in before you yeah, fill yeah. in. Yeah, I like that they actually have to write the review. Um, I, I, and the, my, the main example of this, which really always turns me on, is if you pause any of the frames in Arrested Development. Yeah. Like they're all just oh my god they're so good loaded as well. with gags they're hilarious hilarious pieces of writing. Karen- also, just quickly on that note, yes, when Liza Minnelli walks through the beaded the crystal beads onto the stage for the gay wedding, yeah, um, she she looks like she's got vertigo. It, vertigo. It's it's classic Lucille too. Yeah, that's all I wanted that's, to say. That's another Arrested Development reference. If you haven't seen the series, I implore you to watch the first two seasons. Consider if you want to watch the third, because in my mind, it's not as good. They're all funny. I haven't watched the fourth, to be honest. I I haven't seen the fourth either. Carrie Bradshaw, New York City's ultimate single girl, traded in casual kisses for the title of Mrs. two years ago, and now she wants to talk about it. In her breezy and slight new book, I Do, Do I?, the best-selling author waxes sarcastic on the idea of marriage. Well, not so much marriage as much as marriage vows. The idea of this newly married woman taking a sarcastic swipe at the venereal institution which she has just joined reminds me Is of... Is it venereal or venerable? <laughs> You're definitely right. It's the second one. Venereal would suggest that it is a sexually transmitted disease. And that is the flavour of this book, which, being a single gal slinging it around in New York City, happens from time to time. They've gone with venereal. I mean, venerable. Venerable. And that's their call. They're the New Yorker. They seem to know what they're doing. What a hilarious little moment of uh, <laughs> word swapping I've engaged in there. The idea, uh, da, da, where are we? Oh, yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Institution, which she has just joined, reminds me of the classic Woody Allen joke from his Oscar-winning movie, Annie Hall. Quote, I would never want to belong to any club that wouldn't have me for a member. That would have me for a member, sorry. My alluding to, Wood, to Mr. Allen is, I feel, it's getting harder to read now, an, ac- an acute one. Both he and Miss Bradshaw have quite the eye and ear for reporting on a, quote, life in New York City. Both have devoted years of writing to capturing blank, blank, blank of a certain sector of Manhattan something, something customs. He saw life in something, something, something playground. He's something, something being obsessive, something she, something, something. With each step, you almost sense her something, something, something. Check if it is safe to... Yeah, it's really losing some of the meaning now. But the thing is, I mean... That's not a terrible In the movie, Carrie is livid about the review from The New Yorker. That is like... If any, I mean, obviously we don't get to the bones of it. This is all preamble, but it feels to me like the book is certainly not as poorly received as she acts like. Like she has a full-on meltdown. She storms out of breakfast. 
on about a million plates of eggs, Benny, once again, so slams the ben. New Yorker into a chair. Mm. By the way, how did you get the New Yorker, Tim? Because not Abdul, the guy whose name I forget, who is Carrie Bradshaw's man servente while she's in uh, Abu Dhabi. He's opening everyone's mail, <laughs> which I find very disconcerting. And I'll tell you what, I don't know what the law is in the United Arab Emirates, but in America, that's a federal offense. You cannot open mail that's addressed to other people. They will throw you in jail. It does seem crazy to open. Like, I know that I know that God knows what they're being paid, but I'm pretty sure that whatever their brief was when they were assigned to these four hellish clients, the it was, you do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. But I, I still feel like opening mail is outside of the parameters of that brief. 100%. What brief includes opening someone else's mail? An incorrect brief. I also had a theory this uh, watch around that one of their Mansoventes, who they lovingly call Ab, uh, Paula Abdul because his name is Abdul and he acts quite uh, effeminately, so they assume he's gay. No, he, don't, he doesn't even act effeminately. He does. Just... No, there's a couple bits where oh, he yeah? does. Yeah, yeah. They're just little moments to the camera, but yeah, he does. And so they call him Paula, or they call him Paula Abdul, and there's one bit where the Danish architect with the pan... Eurasian accent. He doesn't, isn't quite nailed where he's from. <laughs> Hello, ladies. I, I am arriving from a place I cannot say. My name, Frederick. <laughs> My country of origin, unknown. <laughs> My country of origin, everywhere, because the director did not give me a brief on where from. <laughs> I wake up very groggy inside movie studio. They tell me I'm Danish now. <laughs> I run with ideas. I'm architect. They wipe my entire memory, so I do not know concept of Denmark or architect. <laughs> or of real life or movie life. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Frederick. So Frederick's there. Uh, and when, it, when he turns up, Abdul, who they assume is gay, um, is sharpening... A butter knife. Or he's, like, he's polishing a butter, a butter knife with a piece of cloth, which is supposed to suggest masturbating a penis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, that's yeah, what it's course. supposed to... But I read into it that maybe... Just maybe Abdul is actually an assassin because what he should like polishing is a no. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life. Yeah. And I think that he wants to kidnap Carrie Bradshaw to try and manipulate the oil markets through Big, who we know works in some sort of investment capacity. Big's, Big's a patsy. Big just big big has no actual power. He just wears stress. We don't we don't know that fully. We, we we thought that that's probably the case, but we don't know it for sure. He could have some sort of influence on the markets. Maybe he suggests to his higher ups what they should be buying and selling. And if Carrie has been held hostage by Paula Abdul, the man Cervante, and he's going to buy. He's going to be saying, Emirates, "Let's buy oil," or let's not. Whatever. The whatever, UAE wants. Whatever Abdul wants. Yeah. yeah. I, I like I mean I like the idea I like the idea that Abdul has has a has a loaded backstory. Yeah. He's a plant by the government. Yeah. 
it certainly makes the film more palatable. It turns it as well from a, I hate the word chick flick, but kind of like a chick flick, a horrible chick flick, into a bit of a dark, uh, like kind of political thriller in a lot of ways. I haven't seen the words chick flick in print for a while. Has that been stamped out? Well, I think you're about to see it again in light of the... Oh, no, actually, you won't. I was going to talk about the um, all-female cast of Ghostbusters, but there won't be a chick flick. There'll be a flick for everyone that just stars woman. It's going to be a dope-ass comedy. It looks... uh, I'm so happy about that film. But did you see what Sony... Did you see what Sony Pictures have done? What? They're, like, also doing a remake of Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. With, like, an all-male... Like, hey... Fuck you. Fuck everyone involved in this fantastic looking redo of Ghostbusters. It's an incredible power play by them. It's insane. They look like, like Sony Pictures just, all they're doing right now pretty much is walking around with their dick hanging out of their pants looking like an arsehole. But isn't Sony making the female one as well? Are they? I think they're doing yeah because they're all, they only one only one company can own all the rights right like there can't be two companies that own the franchise rights for Ghostbusters. It's because of what's his name, not Bill Murray, oh, not Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd has that script that they've been shopping for ages of the reboot for Ghostbusters, and Bill Murray refused to do it. And unfortunately, Mr. Ramos passed away about a year and a half Harold, or two years Harold ago. Harold Ramos. Yeah, Ramos. How do you say it? it I think it's Ramos. He did a really good job of playing Seth Rogen's father in Knocked Up. Yeah. I thought it was his real life father. He... It took me a long time it, to watch Ghostbusters. It's a blow that he's gone, man. Because he co-wrote Ghostbusters with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. They, were, they, they wrote it. God, he's good. He's anyway. so funny. But anyway, so female Ghostbusters happening. Sony Pictures also... They, it's like they're self-sabotaging. Like they're like, oh, things are going really good. We're getting a lot of positive press about doing an all-female reboot of this great comedy franchise everyone loves. You know what I think we should do? <laughs> Fuck ourselves. Fuck ourselves piss, real hard. Piss in the bathtub. God damn it. And, it, and it's going to be, I think, a reworking of that script that Dan Aykroyd was trying to get off yeah. the... Getting, we'll move on from we're Ghostbusters. Getting, we're here to talk about sex in the we're city. We're getting guy. off topic again. Uh, I took a lot of notes. You did. I always do furiously. through the start of the movie, and then the breaking point. I was saying to you, Tim, today because it takes literally an hour for them to get Abu Dhabi. Mm. This is the issue. By the time they're in Abu Dhabi, the energy's uh, the energy is sucked out of you, and it's it's. But like some of these notes, I think are still, I mean, interesting and relevant. Um. So Brayden, is it Brayden? Brady, the son of Miranda and her husband. Brayden the Warlock is in this film in an alternative timeline where he was born a weakling ginger and <laughs> then Hiccups McGee, I guess, would be Charlotte. Yeah, well... I mean Miranda. Yes. David Spade... Had sex with Miranda and they in cr- Florida Yeah, while she had the hiccups <laughs> and the... <laughs> Thus, this is how the crossover happens, bro. Brady turns out to be Brayden. Oh, so this is, this predates Grown Ups 2, which it actually does. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he grew because up he's, because, he's, because he's a warlock. Yeah, he aged like 16. Well, no, well, it would only be 10 years. He aged 10 years and three years. Yeah. Anyway. That's okay. That's a rate of growth of like 3.3 he's, times. Normal. He's got the sci- He's off to the science fair. Oh, yeah. Um. Oh, we're going there, folks. He's, he's going to the his school science fair. And his entry for the science fair is... Sorry, I'll just take a brief moment to clarify. We're talking about Miranda's son, Brady, right yeah. now. Uh, Not Brayden the Warlock from Grown Ups 2. Although they might be the same character, but that's a different It remains to be seen. Uh, yeah. 
we'll let the internet figure that one out. I'm sure there are other people thinking about this in the same terms that we are. Completely. Anyway, he's off to the science fair uh, with his, what you could loosely term as an experiment called mouse maze. It's not an experiment. He's pretty much just made a shitty, like maybe 30 centimeter by 20 centimeter cardboard. He's pretty much put cardboard inside a shoebox. Yeah. Found a mouse, put it in the shoebox, taken it to school. Like it's the sort of science fair project you slap together at eight o'clock when you're that age the night before because you're like, fuck, I've got to do something. It's too late for me to remove the shell of an egg by soaking it in vinegar. One of the kids gets an honorable mention for positing the scientific Rachel. question, what is static electricity? I'm interested to go to her exhibit and I want to find out. I want answers to that question. Okay, this- <laughs> mouse maze isn't a scientific question, Brady. You need to be pursuing knowledge. You have to be answering a call. What, like, what is Brady's hypothesis? He doesn't have one. That is essential for a scientific experiment. This is basics, folks. This is the basic scientific method. You start with your hypothesis, which is steeped in some already existing field, which has already been discovered, and and, and knowledge that has already been accrued by experts in the field, and you try to expand on that by asking a question. Mouse maze is not a question. (laughs) Mouse maze is a sorry excuse for a slap-together cardboard cutout of a scientific experiment that didn't didn't deserve an honourable mention, let alone the blue ribbon at the fucking science fair. What gets me is that this school needs to reevaluate wholesale the way it judges. And I'm guessing that this problem runs deeper than their annual science fair. I'm thinking this problem is fucking prevalent through the entire school. They need to stop rewarding children for poor efforts. What sort of culture? Like, why do you think the American empire is crumbling? Because they're giving kids fucking blue ribbon prizes at science fairs when they show up with a, a pest and a shoebox. You cannot reward mediocrity because downfall is the only conclusion. Mark my words, America. You need to get away from your mouse mazes at at science experiments and you need to be paying a little more attention to the Rachels of the world. Yeah. Look, it's it's a shame we're running out of time because I'm... I mean, there's a whole lot to unpack here, Tim. I think well, what we should do... rip into some... Well, let's rip into our shining points. lights. Do you remember your shining light? You got me to write it down. Wait, I'm going to attempt to remember it. No, I don't remember it. It was an audio mix. Oh, yeah. It's the bit quite early on in the movie where they're at the wedding and there is an edit that goes from Miranda, uh, sorry, Samantha's uh, sexual cries of ecstasy uh, straight into a baby crying belonging to Charlotte of, of like exhaustion. Yeah. You know, ex- exacerbation, is that a word? Yeah. You can be exacerbated. Uh, so, like, it's yeah, it's 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 Samantha crying out in sexual ecstasy, straight into a baby crying, and they really hit it on the right beat. And it's a funny transition to make from an audio point There's of view. I appreciated a fantastic line close to that, uh, in which Big asks Carrie, which is worse, and no, it's after, yeah, it's yeah immediately after thereafter. That, yeah, but she has to choose between um, the crying baby or Samantha having sex, and Carrie. Very pithy, very witty, wittily. She says, "Um, the Samantha, the baby will tire." That's funny. That's a funny line. My shining light this week, Tim, um, was how on point the bad karaoke is. Uh, there's a transition in which they're playing a Boston song, 
And I am so sorry that I've forgotten to mention this thus far in the podcast. I feel like I've let down all the Boston fans. I'm a big Boston fan. But the Love bad, Boston. the bad, whoever they got to sing, what is it? It feels like the first time. It's pretty yeah, much, I'm trying to song. do the. It feels like the very first time. Like, it's just perfectly off pitch. Yeah. Everyone has heard someone singing karaoke in this manner. Yeah. It's very real. Oh, so that's your shining light? Yeah. The, the realism of the, the bad karaoke. The realism of the bad karaoke. Well, it's kind of only followed up by a very unrealistic karaoke rendition of I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, which they add like sitars and a bass line to and shit. They put in a breakdown. Like the the basic way karaoke functions is like a very simple MIDI like melody just carries the tune through the whole song. I've never seen a breakdown like... I've, that being said, though, I, it undermines the realism that they established in the world of the karaoke bar in the film literally moments before. But this isn't a super realist film, and I'm loath to take points off a movie when it's just adding general filmic elements. You know what I mean? If you want to add a little underscore of a sitar to a moment to highlight the fact that they're in Abu Dhabi and be kind of racist on it, then that's your right as a filmmaker to do it. Michael, you've drunk enough whiskey, smoked enough cigars, and spent enough time in this basement that we locked you in to deserve that right to write that in. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, considering the circumstances in which MKP, as he's affectionately known around HBO offices here, uh, that he had, to, he had to work with. Was Sex in the City an HBO thing? Yeah, it's his home box office at the very top of the film. Oh. And glitzy diamante graphics. Oh, you're right. That is what those diamonds spell out. We've got time to revisit our new segment. It's called... What's, What's he, he doing? doing? Where's Where he, he off? going? To? Where's yeah. he off to? I don't. Yeah, that we should listen right. back. Okay. What, what's he going? What's he doing? Where's he off to? That's a good. That's one. good, eh? Yeah, I like it. together. What's, what's he, he doing? doing? Where's he, he off to? to? So, as you well know, at this point, if you've listened to the three episodes preceding this one, uh, there is not a featured extra, but an extra who certainly does the most with the time he has on camera in the background of the scene. At a store called The Coffee Shop, uh, of which he is perfectly on brand, just ramming a bloody frappe cafe number down his gullet. Inside about eight seconds, we see this guy go for the coffee once, go for the coffee twice, go for the coffee three times and promptly leave. He's reading the culture section of the New York Times. I didn't see that. That's a great eagle-eyed attention to detail. And I feel like we also see the coffee arrive for him. (laughs) <laughs> which means he is drinking scalding hot cups. Like, <laughs> do you know what I like about him though? He didn't do it in one gulp. He keeps going, like he goes yeah, yeah. one third and then a second third and then a third you third. Can't he keeps drink, putting the cup you down. You can't drink a piping hot coffee in one gulp unless you've done a Homer Simpson at the chili off where you've drunk candle wax yeah. specifically so you can pull this thing off. That is probably my favourite episode of The Simpsons because... Johnny Cash, I believe possibly uncredited, is the voice talent who is his spirit guide Coyote. How cool is that? Johnny Cash. It's a very it's a very funny episode. It's a great gear. The the what the bit in it when Homer starts hallucinating and like um ha ha like he sees in the crabapple Barney <laughs> and maybe someone else. It's just incredible. And Barney does a burp and like the oh, whole Oh yeah, yeah. Just whole reverberates like his a whole kaleidoscope. Universe. I like when he's trying to um uh like get Marge to turn around and it's just the back of her head like in every direction. <laughs> anyway. Bloody good stuff. Um, and we and when he kicks the turtle. Yeah. He's like follow the to- the tortoise, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. And so he boots it. That's Bloody right. good. Anyway, anyway. 
So what we have to do week in, week out is uh, posit exactly why this guy is ramming so much caffeine down his throat. The, the suggestion that we made during the film today, uh, the man is off to compete in a decathlon oh, of, his, yeah. own, of right. his own definition in which he has to concurrently battle the greatest sumo wrestler, the defending champ of sumo in Japan, yes. and take on Russia's greatest chess master. Yes, the third event that he has to compete in is javelin throw against Kenya's greatest thrower of the javelin. Kenya Mr. not traditionally known for their javelin throwers, but they've got a really strong crop of javelin competitors oh, yeah. coming through right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to name him Jumbai. Jumbai. He's the number one. He's the best number javelin, one javelin throw who's throw. come out of Kenya for that's nine, our, 20 years. That's our third event. So we've got the wrestling. We've got the chess. We've got the javelin throw. The this, fourth event in the decathlon is... This guy also, by the way, has got a Baraka and five no-dos in his cup of coffee. Oh, he's... He's, Such as his thirst for success. He's going 110% the entire time. He has to time. compete in this decathlon every single year until he wins all 10 events in one sitting. He's won nine before, three times in fact. The fourth event is a spelling bee against America's greatest high school students. The creme de la creme of it, private schools in America. It's against the champion child from the spelling bee documentary Spellbound, which came out probably about 10 years ago. The next event, he has to assemble a bed from Ikea faster than the, uh, the creator of Ikea, who, by the way, still flies cattle class, unlike the gals and sex in the city too. And interestingly, here's a fun fact, is the Danish architect that we meet in Sex in the City whose accent he is indistinguishable. It's, it's, it's indefinable. Because he's scrambled his own brains. That's the man who invented Ikea as a concept. The next event, he has to open a restaurant yes. that outsells all of Gordon Ramsay's um, like sales for the last five years in London. Three Michelin stars is the minimum. And he has to open which it. Which is also the maximum amount of Michelin stars you can get. Michelin stars. I always find that so confusing because I think of the tyre place. Yeah, they're true. The seventh event that he has to compete in is a jigsaw puzzle, but not like a regular jigsaw puzzle because he is suspended from a metal bar upside down a la a gymnastics Olympic event by his feet and he has to complete a 1,500-piece jigsaw puzzle of the Eiffel Tower. He has to compete that faster than a similarly trained chimpanzee who is the fastest constructor of that uh, jigsaw puzzle in the world. The next event, he has to outrun Usain Bolt, Asafa Powell, Tyson Gay, and Donovan Bailey, who are competing as one cohesive unit in a 400 meter, no, in a 100 meter relay. So they're all running four legs. He has to run 400 meters faster than four of the fastest men of all time can run it as a collective. Eighth event, and bearing in mind this man has won nine out of these ten events before, come first place. His ninth event after the sprint race is he has to fight and win against Manny Pacquiao in a traditional ten round boxing. Match. The 10th event, which is very specific ninth. to this film. No, we'll do the 9th afterwards. Oh, yes, of course. Of course, as is traditional in a decathlon. I'm sorry, I forgot that. He has to feed and water Michael Patrick King for a week, lest he die and the movie doesn't get released. And then his ninth event is traveling back in time <laughs> by getting in a DeLorean and going at 88 kilometers an hour with a device of his own construction called a flux capacitor. To compete in the ninth event before the tenth event, which is to water, feed, and house Michael Patrick King. It's a hell of an event. We watch it every year, and I'm really pulling through for that guy to take it out this year. I think this is his year. Yeah, I absolutely agree, Tim. I mean, what we have created is a pretty far-fetched decathlon, but you know what? I stand by it. 
I stand by it too. And we put about as much effort into that as whoever created Sex and City 2 did into the fucking two hour and 26 minute disaster that we seem to be watching on a weekly basis. Vis-a-vis a lot. Yes. That about does it for us on the worst idea of all time. It's time for us to get back into the gorgeous city of Melbourne, Australia. A quick reminder to... For the love of God, please come to our show. Or just yeah. buy tickets if, to our shows. If, you don't have to come. No, no, do no, come. No, do come, actually. If you live in Melbourne or you have friends who live in Melbourne, please point them in the direction of our respective shows during the Comedy Festival. Tim is performing his solo hour show. Tim Bat explores the human experience. I had the privilege of watching it last night. He's a very funny man, Tim Bat. Yeah, I'm rewriting the ending. I hate it. We don't have time to dig into that. Uh, I am performing in an improvised show called Snort with Friends. Uh, we're on at six... Oh, you can look that up. Snort with Friends in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And also Guy Montgomery and Rose Matafeo are friends. You know what you want to do? Just Google our names respectively and the words Melbourne Comedy and we'll, we'll come Hopefully up. Hopefully crop up somewhere. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We love all of you. Especially you, Alex. Yeah. Alex, we know you're out there. If and I see you, you on the street, I'm going to buy you a packet of Jaffers. I'm going to pass you right on the mouth. How do you like them apples? We'll catch you next week, folks. Probably again from Melbourne. Sorry this one took so long. Bye, Bye now. It's the worst idea of all time. It's the worst idea of all time. It's the worst idea of all time.